All right, folks, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast family, and I am excited to discuss a couple of things here today on this Monday edition, recording on Sunday night, we'll probably post Sunday night, of course, of the Pickaxe and Roll podcast. The first being the Christmas Day slate, it looks like has dropped. It's it's not official quite yet. Everybody's still speculating on what the times will be of these games. But Sham Sharania reported over the course of Sunday, all five of the games on the Christmas Day slate and the Denver Nuggets are involved. So we're going to go over that in the first segment. Second and third segment, we're going to talk about Aaron Gordon, who I believe is still the fourth best player on the Nuggets and probably the fourth most important player on the Nuggets, maybe fifth if you uh, count Bones Highland in terms of carrying the bench. But I do think that this is a really interesting spot for Aaron Gordon, and he's going to be put into the position where I think most people envisioned him in Denver. We get to talk about it. We get to talk about what that's going to look like. But for now, let's start with the Christmas Day slate. We got all five matchups. The Bucks are going to play the Celtics. The 76ers will play the Knicks. The Suns will play the Nuggets. The Lakers will play the Mavericks. And the Grizzlies will play the Warriors. The last couple of matchups, the Lakers, Mavericks, and Grizzlies, Warriors matchups were each known uh, prior to. Those had leaked, I think, previously, maybe a couple days before. But it is interesting to see the Nuggets on this slate. Now, let's just run through each of the games really quick and talk about the intrigue. We don't know the times yet, as I said before, but uh, the Suns and Nuggets was said to be in the third time slot. The first time slot is apparently Bucks at Celtics. I'm not sure if that's actually going to happen because the Knicks have always been in the early time slot in my mind, and it just kind of makes sense to put them as kind of the worst team on here outside of the Lakers. Actually, the Knicks were worse. It just makes sense to put those two teams, or put the Knicks especially, in the early time slot where not as many people are going to be watching. But if it is the Bucks and the Celtics in the first time slot, then that's a really, really impressive matchup. That's probably the Eastern Conference Finals preview. Both of those teams are a lot more stable than the Brooklyn Nets, who did not make the Christmas Day slate this time of year. And it's not really surprising, given Kevin Durant might not be on the team. Kyrie Irving might not be on the team. Ben Simmons will probably play. I assume he plays, but you just never know. So we're going to have to see what the Nets look like. But rather than that, we got the Bucks and the Celtics in that first slot, and it's going to be awesome. Giannis Antetokounmpo, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, you know the Bucks, you've always known them, versus the Celtics, who were in the finals last year. And it makes a lot of sense to put those teams against each other if that is potentially going to be an Eastern Conference Finals preview. I think I would pick, uh, I, I can't really say who I'd pick without knowing what the other uh, schedule looks like with all of these other teams and what it leads up to, but Celtics probably favored by four and a half in that particular game. But if the Bucks are great and if Giannis is the best player in the world, then maybe they steal that. 76ers at Knicks is the next game and not really surprising to see Joel Embiid and James Harden get on national TV. 
You still have a lot of Rockets fans who are watching James Harden. And obviously, Joel Embiid is a big-time show. He's, he's who everybody wants to see in a lot of these games. So it's good that they get represented in this. Surprised that the Miami Heat did not get picked. Not really surprised Toronto didn't get picked, but they might have been more deserving. I do think, though, that talk about the 76ers. They made some major additions during this offseason. They're going to be better than they were last year in all likelihood. Tyrese Maxey, one year older, he should be pretty good. They have a lot to prove. and They're going to be at Madison Square Garden, so should be a lot of fun. Jalen Brunson gets to go up against uh, James Harden and Tyrese Maxey and guys like that. But then you've got Julius Randle and RJ Barrett and Evan Fournier and Mitchell Robinson. And it's not really an exciting Knicks team. They're not a very good team right now. Not really sure I'd pick them to make the top eight teams in the West. But you never know. Maybe they surprise. I definitely pick the Sixers in this matchup. Whatever the matchup is, Joel Embiid draws a lot of free throws against the Knicks. He did last year. It's not going to change against... Uh, Mitchell Robinson and Isaiah Hardenstein this next year. It is what it is. 76ers by 15 to 20. Now you've got the Suns at the Nuggets. The Nuggets get to host this time around, and Nikola Jokic gets back on national TV during the Christmas Day slate. That's not really a surprise. There are a lot of people, like I think the Nuggets were probably one of the last cuts in the last year's edition of the Christmas Day slate. Obviously, they didn't make it, but they make it this year with Jokic getting his second straight MVP. You've got Jamal Murray coming back. You've got Michael Porter coming back. And you face off against the team that swept the Nuggets in the playoffs in 2021. The Phoenix Suns, who won 64 games last year before flaming out in the second round. That should be a war. Like That is going to be a lot of fun. Those teams are going to be absolutely amped up to play against each other. Nikola Jokic doesn't really care that it's Christmas, but he does care that this is going to be a primetime matchup against the Suns, a team that obviously the Nuggets have some strong feelings against after what went down over the course of these last couple of years. So I'm very curious to see how that goes. Devin Booker versus Jamal Murray is going to be massive. Michael Porter Jr. has played well offensively against the Suns in recent years. Defensively, he gets targeted a little bit. Hopefully, he's in a great position uh, to be better this upcoming season. But I think we're probably going to see 30 minutes each from all of those guys. And it should be a lot of fun. It should be a very competitive matchup. Nuggets will probably be favored by two and a half, I'd guess. And that's a pick That's anybody's guess. Lakers at Mavericks is going to be the next one. And uh, we had some conflicting reports on when some of these teams are going to play. Like, I think the Knicks make more sense for the earliest slot. And the Nuggets, I thought, were going to be in the late night slot. But it turns out that the Warriors are listed last. They'll probably be in the late night slot, which means that the Nuggets are probably going to play at around 4.30 in the afternoon. That would make sense. Maybe 4 That's pretty early. It's definitely a little bit earlier than I think a lot of people would want on Christmas Day. But also, I'm I'm okay with it being 
in the late afternoon because then an 8.30 start on Christmas night, it's always very cold when you come back out of Ball Arena on those nights. So should be fine. Not really pressed about it, not concerned. But for this next matchup, Lakers at Mavericks. Obviously, they were going to get LeBron and the Lakers on national TV. And obviously, you had to get Luka Doncic on TV. He is fantastic, and the Mavericks made the Western Conference Finals last year. They still deserve to be on there, especially with Luka kind of being one of the faces of the league for this next decade. So, not really surprised that this is the matchup, and the Lakers and the Mavericks, they make a lot of sense against each other with kind of the old guard versus the new. I don't know how the Lakers are going to look. I just assume that they're going to look probably a little bit better than last year. Maybe they're like a 500 team or something like that. But the Mavericks, not really sure what to expect. Last year, I think they were at about a 50-win pace. And I expect that they'll probably be like that in the regular season this next year. But maybe they're a little bit worse without Jalen Brunson. Could be at 48 wins or 47 wins or something like that. But I would expect the Mavericks to be favored in this one, given that it's at home, given that they're going to be the better team. But it should be a very interesting game because the Lakers, it makes sense that they would show up on a national TV game. It makes sense that in all of these different scenarios, they, they generally find ways to save face on national TV. And LeBron does this really well. So it would not surprise me if they won, though the Mavericks will be favored. I'd guess probably Mavericks by five and a half. Mavericks by four and a half, maybe. And I would probably bet the Lakers in that one, just because I don't know who matches up with Anthony Davis on the Mavericks, because it's not going to be JaVale McGee, and it's not going to be Christian Wood. It's not really going to be Maxi Kleba or Dwight Powell either, so should be interesting if Anthony Davis is on his game. And then finally, Grizzlies at Warriors should be the nightcap. That's what it looks like, and would not surprise me if that's how it ended up. The Grizzlies-Warriors matchup in the second round was pretty contentious between those two teams, and you had the young gun Grizzlies who were definitely kind of talking above their station. They were not going to be punked. They were not afraid, but they still lost in six games. They still lost on their home court. Actually, was it their home court? No, because the, the Grizzlies, they the three, no, the Nuggets were the, the Nuggets were the six seed and they faced the three seed Warriors. So the Grizzlies were the two seed, which means they lost on the road uh, to close out their season. But they lost without John Morant in the last three games of the playoff series. So those teams should be very competitive. We'll see if Jaron Jackson is back in time for that particular matchup. But I think the Warriors and Grizzlies, they go at each other. John Morant plays extremely well against the Warriors, and he's made for national TV. So should be a lot of fun. Dylan Brooks will be very physical with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. Desmond Bain will try to outshoot those guys, and maybe he will. And then John Morant's going to make a bunch of highlights. And I bet the Warriors still win. You're probably going to get Warriors minus four and a half, more Warriors minus five. And I would bet the Warriors on that one just because it's what they do. Steph Curry on Christmas, he plays pretty well in those situations. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss Aaron Gordon in some of the preview content that I've done for some of the other Nuggets players. But first, 
This podcast, as you know, is brought to you by Superbook Sports. Summer is here. There's no better time to make your first bet with Superbook Sports. Along with its usual vast betting menu, Superbook already has a lineup for every pro football game this fall. Plus, when you make your first deposit on the Superbook app or sign up at Superbook.com, they will match 100% of your money up to $500. It's never too early to start thinking about football at Superbook Sports. Place your bet. Start winning today. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. so much everybody for tuning in appreciate all the love and support on the program as always let's discuss aaron gordon who last year his role going into the year everybody knew that he was gonna have to step up just a little bit because of the absence of jamal murray what nobody really knew was aaron gordon was gonna have to play small forward for much of the season michael porter goes down after nine games Jeff Green steps into the starting lineup. Makes a lot of sense positionally. Uh, Denver has a like I I classified back when the trade happened and Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. were playing together. I classified Aaron Gordon as a 3.5. And what that means is he kind of splits reps between small forward and power forward. And he makes a lot of sense at both positions but not necessarily one or the other exclusively. So I'm not surprised that when Denver played Jeff Green next to Aaron Gordon, Gordon was able to adapt. He was able to make it work. But Denver could have been even better in that situation if they had another guy kind of like Aaron Gordon who could be a little bit more versatile at the three or the four. Jeff Green, very clearly a traditional four, probably closer to a five, at this stage of his career than he is to a three. But Denver asked him to do a lot last year. They asked Aaron Gordon to do a whole heck of a lot. His role was probably more drastically different than anybody outside of Monte Morris or Jeff Green. Morris obviously had to replace Jamal Murray in the starting lineup. Jeff Green had to replace Michael Porter. But the player who was still playing that had to change the most was Gordon, for sure, based off of the position, but based off of the responsibility of having to guard the opposing team's best player every single night. His stats last year were pretty good. 15 points per game, 6 rebounds, 5.9, 2.5 assists, 0.6 steals, and 0.6 blocks, which a little bit alarming that those are so low. Career high of 52% from the field. His two-point percentage by year in his career, it's drastic how different it was in in Denver. His first year in Orlando, 50%. Next year, 53%. Next year, 53%. Next year, 50 49.7%. Year after that, 49.9%. Year after that, 49.4%. And then the split year between Orlando and Denver, in Orlando, it was 47.5. In Denver, it was 60.6, a career high. And then this last year, it was 
which shows that it wasn't really a fluke, that that's just kind of how the two-point percentage is going to look for Aaron Gordon in Denver's offense. The three-point percentage, that didn't really change. 27.1% in his first season, 29.6% second season in Orlando, 28 38.8%, 33.6%, 34.9%, 30.8%. Then the split year, of 37.5 in Orlando and 26.6 in Denver. And then he recovered to 33.5 this last year. So I think it's pretty clear based off of his career, his trajectory, it was definitely lower, like high 20s in his early Orlando years. Then it became low to mid 30s in the rest of his Orlando career before now in his full season of Denver at 33.5. Now his three-point shots, they're definitely easier, I think, than they were in Orlando, just because uh, he's not happy. Like he didn't have Nikola Jokic there. He didn't have a point guard there. Like Monte Morris is probably his best point guard that he's ever played with outside of Jamal Murray, which is nuts. But now, like when you have Jokic, you're obviously going to get that bump too. Now I assume he's going to be better going forward, and we'll talk about that in the third segment, but I think those numbers just go to show just how much Jokic has helped create open shots for Aaron Gordon. Despite the fact that Denver was in adverse circumstances without Murray and MPJ, they were still able to find easy looks. Here's a a very interesting number. Aaron Gordon led all non-bigs like non-centers, non-power forward centers, in dunks last year with 130. There were only four players in the entire NBA that were non-centers to exceed 100. So I'm not really surprised that Aaron, his two-point percentage was so high because he was able to get to the rim and finish above the rim pretty frequently. And that's a lot of Jokic gravity, but it's a lot of Aaron Gordon finding his offense and finding the angles with which he can really impact the team, it's only going to get better, I have to imagine. Now, the entire regular season, he was a little bit overwhelmed on offense. Not really, like, when he wasn't getting the open shots at the rim, the rest of the offense was still a little bit uh, struggle-filled. They didn't post him up that much, but when he did post up, he was fine. He was He was good. Didn't really do a lot of playmaking out of there, but got some turnarounds, got some spins at the rim, things like that. But for the most part, when he wasn't taking shots around the rim, he was spacing out to three. Sometimes he would go off the dribble, like with a a DHO or with the occasional pick and roll. But for the most part, he was an off-ball player, and a lot of that led to spot-up threes or um, off-screen, not off-screen threes, but... Just most of the time, it was spot-up threes. And at the three, it's a little bit different than at the four. Like, he still had a lot of his shots come from the corner. Like, I'm not going to change that up here. But it does seem like he could get more shots from the corner. Just kind of looking at his breakdown here. The threes that he shot from the corner, like his percentage of threes, was 42%. That was pretty good. That was the highest of his career outside of his rookie year. It could go even higher with what Denver has 
at their disposal this upcoming season. I, I would actually expect that for sure. He shot 35% on corner threes this last year. Could that go up to 38? Could he push that higher, get him into a situation where he's comfortable? I don't think so because he's not a natural shooter, but you never know. Guys change from the early stages of their career when they're built off of athleticism versus the latter stages of the career when they have to kind of convert that to more skill-based stuff. So we're going to see. He was a bit overwhelmed on O, and it definitely affected his defense. He was massively underwhelming on defense this last year. And I say that knowing that he can be better, knowing that he was put in a really tough spot, but a lot of the analytics and a lot of the numbers behind his actual defense say he was pretty subpar as an on-ball defender. Now, a lot of that was because he was defending point guards half the time. Most of the teams that Denver was facing, their best perimeter creator is their point guard. And if that player is 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", they're going to have a quickness advantage against Gordon. I remember Tyrese Maxey kind of taking it to Gordon uh, when he was switched on to guys like Steph Curry or Jordan Poole in the playoffs. That was really struggling. We'll talk about that here real quick. But for the most part, Aaron Gordon, he was kind of defending out of position. He was a point of attack defender when that's not what his role should be. And hopefully with the addition of KCP, that changes. But he did help keep Denver afloat. He was functional. He was helping to get easy shots. Even if the harder shots didn't really go down as well, the easy shots were high enough in number and frequency that Denver was able to make it work and Jokic was able to make it work. So they were able to craft 48 wins out of thin air, basically. Hopefully that's not necessarily plan A this upcoming season. Hopefully that's plan D, plan E, when it comes to what Denver's focusing on with their offensive schemes. I do think that that's possible. And that's probably the hope. The playoffs went real bad. This was not a good playoffs for Aaron Gordon, but it was mostly because of games one and two. Games three, four, and five, he slowly was able to figure things out where actually he had to quickly figure things out in those games. It just took him a little bit across the the first round. But in games three, four, and five, he was able to play pretty well. I think he averaged like 18, 12, and three and a half against the Warriors in the latter three games, 18 and 12 is is awesome. Like if he was to average 12 rebounds a game in a playoff series, that's usually one that Denver's going to find a way to win. That Denver did not win it. It showed that there were a lot of other issues, of course. But if Denver has those major issues squared away by getting back their major talent, then maybe Denver can have some opportunities for Aaron Gordon to shine at different points. But yeah, the three-point shot never really came around for him. He was very frustrated as a two-point shooter against Draymond Green and then against Andrew Wiggins, actually. Did not have success against either of those two in the first two games, and it was one of the big reasons why Denver got blown out. The games were closer in games three, four, and five. 
but the damage was already done, and Denver could never really recover from that. But he just wasn't ready for the moment on either offense or defense. He didn't really have anybody to guard against Golden State. Like he wasn't going to spend his time on Andrew Wiggins. Jeff Green had to defend Andrew Wiggins in a lot of those lineups. So he had to defend either Steph Curry, Jordan Poole, or Klay Thompson. And he's just not a great guard defender. He does some good things, but you have to be just so cerebral against the Warriors that I think it showed a lot of weaknesses in Gordon's game last year. He could get better, and I think he probably will get better as he continues to get older, as he continues to figure out what the best things are for him. But I think that that's probably the biggest point of contention about how last season went for him. Didn't really have a good matchup, but we did learn that he has some good foundational pieces that can be taken to other matchups. Like he can match up with guys like Luka Doncic and Kawhi Leonard and Jason Tatum and players of that nature. As long as Denver commits to playing defense and Aaron Gordon leads the charge, I have no doubt that Denver can defend in the playoffs. They can do it, but they're going to have to really commit. And Aaron Gordon has to lead that charge in all likelihood. The three offensive stars in Denver can't do that. It has to be Aaron Gordon. So we're going to talk about that here in the third segment. When we come back, we're going to talk about how Aaron Gordon's role is going to change in this upcoming season now that Murray and Porter are back. We'll be right back. We're back. Big action roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much for tuning in. Final segment as we discuss Aaron Gordon and how his role is going to change from last year to this year. I'm looking forward to what he does as Denver didn't really bring him in to be the second option. They brought him in to be the fourth, maybe fifth option within their starting lineup offensively. And that's what it's going to look like as long as everybody stays healthy and connected and Everything kind of fits together the way Denver envisions it will. Fourth option for Aaron Gordon, and that makes a lot of sense based off of his skill set, based off of what Denver is looking for him to do. He's more skilled than a player like a Kenneth Fareed, but I think Denver in a lot of ways wants him to fill that similar role where he might space out to three a little bit more, might handle a pick and roll every now and then, might... Uh, do some other things with the ball in his hands than a than a Kenneth Fareed. But the bulk of his game, the core of his game is going to be as a screener, as a roller, as a cutter, and then as a floor spacer after those things. He's going to be the fourth option and sometimes the fifth option. It's much better than being the second option, I think. When he was traded to Denver, he averaged just eight shots per game. It was kind of wild to think about. He played 25 games, and in that time, he only averaged eight shots per game. There were some times where he took like four or five and was just perfectly content. There was nothing at issue when he was trying to figure his things out in Denver's offense. 
And I think we're going to see some opportunities like that. This last year, he averaged 11 shots per game, three more than he did in the previous year. And some of those shots are going to go to Jamal. Some of those shots are going to go to MPJ. So I'm guessing that that average is probably going to drop to about 10 per game, maybe lower than that. And the biggest drop-off should come from three-point range, where he's really going to focus on the corner three most of the time. But when he does take an above-the-break three, it's going to be pretty rare. Might be one a game, maybe. Most of the time, playmaking and facilitation will be interesting. I think Denver assumes that Jokic will be the primary playmaker. Murray will be the secondary playmaker. Who's the third guy, though? I'm not really sure. Between Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter, and KCP. I think most people would say MPJ, but he averaged just 1.1 assists in his 2020-21 season. Aaron Gordon averaged two and a half last year. Like, more than double. And so it wouldn't surprise me if he continued to find some facilitation opportunities and maybe they use all three of Jokic, MPJ, and Jamal Murray off ball in different sets and add KCP in there. And you've got some great opportunities for some three-point shooters or maybe a seal for Nikola Jokic on the inside. So if Aaron Gordon, like that's one thing where I think he could improve is just as a playmaker, making it that his way of impacting games, not necessarily as a scorer, but as a passer. I bet he probably splits those reps with KCP and Michael Porter, but don't be surprised if he takes on the main tertiary role. Now on defense, he's going to be the primary forward defender still. There's definitely no question about that, but he's no longer going to defend point guards, at least for the most part. KCP and then Bruce Brown off the bench, those guys are going to be your main point guard defenders. Last year, it was Monte Morris and Will Barton starting at the one of the two. This year, it's Jamal Murray and KCP. Each guy is better on the defensive end than Morris and Barton. Like Denver should be better defensively just because they're going to improve in the backcourt so much. And because of that, Aaron Gordon, he's going to have more opportunities as a help side defender, as a weak side defender closer to the rim. He's not just going to be on the ball all the time. He's not going to be chasing around shooters all the time. There will be times for that. Like, let's say Denver does face Golden State and they go to their death lineup with Jordan Poole, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, and and Draymond Green. Jokic will be on Draymond. I bet MPJ will probably be on Andrew Wiggins which means that Aaron Gordon's going to have to figure out whether he can guard Clay, whether he can guard Jordan Poole, or whether he can guard Steph. And then Jamal will be on one of those guys and KCP will be on the other, hypothetically in those situations. I wonder if, if he can't find the right matchup in those situations, whether Denver might be better used to take Aaron Gordon off the floor and replace him with Bruce Brown. Like, you still have MPJ, and he's still going to have to be involved in some way, shape, or form. But the difference is that MPJ is going to space the floor all to hell on the other end of the floor, 
And if you've got Bruce Brown, you've got uh, Jamal Murray and KCP, those three guys are pretty interchangeable in who defends which of the Golden State guards. Like all three will have to because of the actions that they run so they can just switch it. That's the hope when guarding a team like the Warriors. Whether it's a good thing in reality remains to be seen, but it wouldn't surprise me if Denver went to something like that. Maybe they just push Aaron Gordon to the four and take MPJ off the floor, but there are benefits to playing MPJ at the four in place of Aaron Gordon, so it would not surprise me if that's where his role, Aaron Gordon, kind of changes a little bit. Is he the guy who's going to be on the floor all the time, even when defense is needed? Because it wouldn't surprise me if like in situations where you've got to just defend guards, maybe not defend forwards, that Aaron Gordon isn't as necessary. So we're going to have to figure that out. We're going to have to see what that looks like. He's still going to be the primary option against big wings and forwards like Luka Doncic, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron, Giannis, obviously. Like those guys, Aaron Gordon has to show up and be big for And so Denver, when they face the Clippers, when they face the Mavericks, uh, when they face, well, who else in the West? It really is just mostly those teams. Like Anthony Edwards is going to have to be big against, but he also might defend Carl Anthony Towns in a matchup against the Utah or the Minnesota Timberwolves. So it's going to get a little weird. It's going to get a little wonky. But I think that his main role will mostly stay intact, guarding the main best player on the other team most of the time. But it might be KCP some nights, in which case it might mean less Aaron Gordon. Stats predictions, I would go 12 points per game down from 15, about six rebounds per game, two and a half assists. And I'm going with slightly better defensive numbers, 0.8 steals and 1.0 blocks. The 0.8 steals isn't a career high, but the blocks are 1.0 blocks. He's actually not a very good rim-protecting forward. I'm kind of surprised about that based off of what he has shown. But it does feel like this could be the year where he takes a little bit less focus on the offensive end and focuses on what he can do better defensively. If Denver plays that more aggressive brand of basketball, it wouldn't surprise me if he goes to the rim pretty consistently as their defender. So if he is that, 1.0 blocks, it's not really that crazy in my mind. I think he goes 60% from two, 35% from three, slightly better, and then 75% from the line, slightly better. It's going to look a lot like that though, and it's not ever going to feel like he's massively important, but he's going to be a factor. I do really think that he's going to be a factor, but the main question, his main pressure, his main responsibility, can he operate at the same level role player-wise as a Mikhail Bridges and as Andrew Wiggins showed in the playoffs this last year? Andrew Wiggins found his role. He found his niche around the machine that the Warriors had constructed. Is Aaron Gordon capable of doing that for Denver? Can he have those moments where it's his defense, it's his rebounding, it's his finishing at the rim that really flip a playoff series? 
as long as Denver's foundation is sound, I think that's the case and that he could do that. But I do think that that's probably the big question here. The next question, can he be a great defender or will he always be merely good? Because I think there are a lot of people that want to credit him for being awesome. He was really good at the beginning of this last season. Like for the first month of the year, the first 10 games or so, 10 to 15 games, he showcased his ability as a defender. And I was really impressed. That dropped off pretty quickly. Like for Will Barton, he showed himself to be a pretty solid defender in the beginning of the season. And then he fell off, most likely because of the heavy role that he had to maintain. Does Aaron Gordon have to maintain the same role? Can Denver rest him a little bit more? Do they have to utilize him a little bit less? And will that make him a better player going forward? I don't know. We're going to see. But Denver needs elite defenders. They need players that they can count on in those moments. KCP feels like a reliable dude. Bruce Brown feels like a good, maybe not wild card, but a good uh, ace up the sleeve off the bench. That's probably what I would call it. But can Aaron Gordon be that consistent best defender on the floor for Denver? If he's the best defender and Denver's kind of average, that's not great. If he's the best defender on a top 10 defense, that's a little bit different. It's possible that he could be the latter. We're going to have to see it first. And then finally, can he play some small ball center to prop up the bench unit in important moments? I'm thinking about the playoffs. I'm thinking about opportunities during the regular season where, let's say, Denver's bench in the first half has really struggled to find a rhythm against the team that they're playing. Maybe this is a an important game in March. Denver needs a win against a really good team. Let's say it's Phoenix. Can they play Aaron Gordon at small ball center off the bench, along with Bones, along with Bruce Brown? Let's say they stagger Jamal Murray as well. They're really going out. They're really trying to figure out how to play it. Maybe they play Zeke Naji as well, but Zeke is kind of off the ball and they're using Aaron Gordon as the role man. Is he capable of handling that pressure? And will Denver go to that? Can they go to that? Those are some big kind of pivot points, I would say, because if he's that consistent quality role player in the Mikhail Bridges or Andrew Wiggins mold, then he's going to help Denver win a lot of playoff games. If he's a great defender, then he's going to help Denver win a lot of playoff games. If he can prop up their bench units, he's going to win a lot of playoff games. Denver's going to have to get creative this year. They've got a limited number of players that they trust. And so they're going to have to find times where three, four, or five of those guys are on the court all at the same time. And maybe AG has to be on the court without Jokic, in which case he gets to prove that he's not just propped up by Jokic, but is playing the system and playing it well. Three bold predictions here. Aaron Gordon plays at an all-star role-player level. What that means is you've got that Mikhail Bridges-Andrew Wiggins theory, 
where you need guys like that to play at that level where, oh man, are they better than some of the top players on some of the other teams, some of the weaker teams? Like is, would Aaron Gordon be the best player on the Magic? Would Aaron Gordon be the best player on the Rockets? You want to be able to have those conversations because if the answer is yes, then that's a good thing. That means that Aaron Gordon is proving himself even within the scope of his role player responsibilities. Number two, I think the defense is going to reach top 10 levels, especially when Aaron Gordon's good. But the defense is also going to bottom out when he's not good. I think he's going to be good more often than not. Obviously, he was very consistent last year in terms of the level that he was able to provide. But it has to be a different level this year. Denver has to be more intense on the defensive end, and I really do think he has to lead that charge. He has the capability. He has the energy. He's got to be better. And then number three, I think he's going to have some Andrew Wiggins moments in this extended playoff run where he becomes a fan favorite. There's a lot of question marks that if Denver does falter, like who the scapegoat's going to be. And I think a lot of people would say Aaron Gordon because people are not going to want to blame Jokic. They're not going to want to blame Murray or MPJ when they're coming off of injury. The next best player that you can blame is Aaron Gordon. I don't think that he's going to want that. I don't think that he's going to let that happen. I think he's going to be very good. That's the hope. That's the dream. And if he does have 15 rebounds in a closeout game, or does have a big posterization moment, or he locks down, I don't know, Luka Doncic in a playoff game. That's a big, big deal. And if he can get to that place pretty consistently in the playoffs, then the Nuggets really do have a chance to win a title. There's no doubt about it. Aaron Gordon is kind of on the clock this year. Denver gave him the extension last season. He was playing on his the last year of his deal that he signed with Orlando. Now he's on a contract that he signed with Denver. And they're signing him to be a very, very good player. He has to reach that level if the Nuggets are going to reach their potential. I think he will. That is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Glad we got to talk about the Christmas schedule. Glad we got to talk about Aaron Gordon. I'll be talking about, I think, the Central Division, if I'm not mistaken. Going to be talking about probably Giannis, the Chicago Bulls, teams like that. It might be the Pacific Division, actually, because I do have a special guest coming on at the end of the week. And that should be a lot of fun. The Lakers. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys on Wednesday.